What's happening, guys? Welcome to Locked On Marlins on Wednesday, the 8th of February. No emergency pod. There is no news breaking. So there's the starting point. But we are, the roster to me looks to be pretty much firmed up. Maybe a reliever or two, perhaps some late trade activity. But as we sit here right now uh, at the start of February, let's start a look ahead because spring training is starting real soon. So we're going to be looking ahead at the spring training position battles, perhaps. What's up for grabs? Which spots are up for grabs during spring training? Who needs to perform? And who is walking the tightrope on this Marlins roster to make the opening day roster? All of that on today's show. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked on Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Hit subscribe to the pod wherever you get them. It's free and available and daily. Yes, sir. We are rolling out daily uh, all the way through February to keep you company as we get into spring, then through spring and the WBC running in parallel. And then as we approach opening day, opening weekend and the Marlins playoff push in 20. 23. Uh, yes, there is a YouTube channel. If you are wondering, head over there if you like. The channel is Locked on Marlins, and you can see it is bright and sunny here in the UK, which is great. Good vibes for certain. Uh, before we dig into it, uh, and there is tons to dig into in many ways, uh, just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by our, our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. You can visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get yourselves started. Ah, more for them from those guys later on. So this is, we're going to look at the roster. We're going to look at the 40 man, some of the non-roster invitees to spring and start to get a sense of uh, what positions are potentially up for grabs. Uh, what are the battles? I think the most, uh, the most recent like overarching battle heading into spring, do you remember this one? It was the Isan Diaz Jazz Chisholm battle for second base a few years ago and everyone was kind of saying Isan has done everything he can at AAA there's nothing left to prove this is Isan's job to take he rolled into spring and hit I don't know 100 something in that kind of realm he had an absolutely putrid spring Jazz Chisholm lit it up Jazz got the job and effectively that was the beginning of the end if it already wasn't for Isan Diaz so what that says to me and what we should be thinking about right now is let's be open-minded with with jobs, with roles, whatever we think we know. You know, it's subject to change and performance you know, comes and goes, let's say. And we definitely saw that last year in 2022 with the offense. The, the performance uh, was gone more than it came, I would say. Um, but there's tons to get into. And I think this is a really intriguing roster, as we know. Like over the last two years, and I mentioned yesterday, it's been – or sorry, yesterday, the day before – it's been uh, you know, a two-year cycle here where we've added tons of talent, tons of vets into the mix, um, a lot of trades happening. Uh, and now this roster feels, you know, like it's you know, it's it's looking to to kind of take the next step, I guess, and, and start to produce. Let's start with catcher though, guys. And that's the first spot. I think back to 2021, and this was just a, just a black hole for the Marlins, a huge black hole. 
Georgie Alfaro, Chad Wallach, these guys, you know, whoever else trying to come in. Uh, who else? They traded for that dude from the Braves, Alex Jackson. That didn't work out. Still one of the wildest and weirdest trades I've ever seen um, from the Marlins there to trade away Adam Duvall. I still don't understand that one. If anyone does, please let me know. Uh, the only conclusion I've ever been able to make is that the Marlins didn't realize that there was a, an arbitration year on, on Duvall, even if he opted out. That's the only possible explanation. I don't know. Anyway, it was a black hole. What did the Marlins go and do? They traded for Jacob Stallings, and that was coming off a stunning year for Stallings, a career year in many ways. And we always knew with Stallings, it wasn't for his stick. He was never going to be a, a you know a JT Riamuto with a stick. But what we needed behind the dish was no more pass balls. Do you remember those pass balls? It was just insane in 21. And so they needed to shore it up defensively. The interesting wrinkle to this all was at the back end of 2021, Nick Fortes emerged on the scene. He'd never hit pretty much at any level. He comes up to the major leagues at the back end of the year and starts raking. And everyone's like, oh, who's Nick Fortes? Um, he, he didn't, and if you recall then, heading into 22, uh, Nick Fortes didn't win the job, the backup job. Uh, he ended up getting the job and, and, and absolutely took that opportunity with both hands. The Marlins went from one of the most dire-catching situations now to heading into this offseason, probably looking at it and going, that's a position of strength for the Marlins. It really is. So why am I talking about this from a position battle perspective? Well, the position battle becomes, who's going to get the majority of the playing time? Um, still, you know, Jacob Stallings took most of the playing time. It was probably a 60-40 split, probably, uh, in 2022. The question is, is... Can Nick Fortes and do the Marlins want Nick Fortes to get more action? Because perhaps perhaps the, the, the stick is going to play to a higher level. It's fair to say the first half of Stallings offensively, it was really poor. The defense was still fine. It was good. Uh, I, th I think maybe we're being a bit unfair on Stallings. Like it wasn't terrible. It wasn't a huge regression with the glove and the defense, I wouldn't say. It was as advertised. The stick just wasn't great in the first half. But in the second half, Jacob Stallings... The stick was was fine, absolutely fine. And it was as advertised. Um, the thing you have is Nick Fortes's profile offensively and defensively in some ways, and he's worked a lot on his defense. That's one thing I would say. It's like it's clear to the eyeballs that the defensive progression has been has been nice with Fortes. And he he for certain looks a legit major league player and a major league catcher and one that has the offensive profile that Stallings will never have. And it's an intriguing profile for a team that is struggling struggling for offensive production. It certainly was last year. We'll wait to see what 23 brings. But I think this is a really intriguing one for the Marlins. We know Stallings will catch Sandy every time, every inning. And, you know, touching wood here, we assume and hope that Sandy will be healthy again, have another 200-plus inning game. So we know every fifth day Stallings is going to be catching him. The question then comes is how do they divvy up the other four guys? And does Fortes start to uh, eat into some of the playing time? Does it become a 50-50 split? Does it become 60-40 perhaps with Fortes uh, and Jacob Stallings? And I think whilst I, I don't think this is something that will be decided in spring, probably, but I can certainly see it being something that is decided as the year goes on, where it may be that Stallings starts out as the starting catcher, in inverted commas, let's say. He, he catches every, you know, three out of every five games. 
But it wouldn't shock you mid-season if they slightly adjust that and Fortes gets a bit more bit more playing time, a few more plate appearances. Like clearly the Marlins are gonna like, you know, if, if the stick is what we saw in 22 and continues on that pathway, there's a legit stick in there. And the Marlins can't be turning away from legit sticks at the catching position, at any position, to be honest. And hence why they they spent and got Fortes playing time in, in, in the DH spot. Um, that didn't work out, by the way. When he was catching, he was he was a nice hitter. When he was DHing, uh, he was absolutely terrible. Some absolutely horrific numbers, um, which again is in some ways a bit of a red flag. Um, but equally, maybe the whole catching thing, you know, you, um, I've, I've never caught. I've never been a catcher, but I was a wicket keeper in cricket. And some listeners may go, what the hell is a wicket keeper? You know, it's effectively the cricket catcher. And uh, and what I would say is when I was wicket keeping, you you see a lot of balls, right? You see a lot more balls uh, than you do in any other position. Balls that you can then, you know, I guess when you come up to take an at-bat, you're, you're in the groove. You're seeing the ball. You're feeling the ball. You're used to the pace. And so I think that, in all likelihood, helps Nick Fortes, where if you're just DHing, you just come and have an at-bat every hour or so, and that's all you do, you kind of get out of the rhythm of of you know, the balls and the pace and, you know, it can be maybe a bit tough. I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing on that one. And uh, I didn't think I'd use that word either today, but I have. So there you go. Tick for me. Uh, let me know. The guys, you know, there's a lot of guys that comment on the, in the YouTube uh, comments. Let me know. Does that, does that, does it help? Does catching help? Help me to see from, from an offensive perspective. Really intrigued on that one. So overall with the catching spot, the Marlins are in, are in good health here. They're in good health, and they actually have one of their top prospects at Joe Mack, um, you know, that's coming through the system as such. Like, he's still some way off. But, you know, the Marlins, from a dire situation at catcher, uh, it's definitely improved. And with both Stallings and Fortes, uh, they, they have two legit major league uh, catchers, both defensively and in some ways offensively as well. I think that's a great spot and a great foundation for this Marlins roster, for certain. What's the playing time going to look like? My gut feel is it stays similar to last year. Stalling 60, Fortes 40. But I think as the season goes on, it would not shock me to see it flipped on its head and Fortes to take over a little bit more duties uh, if Stalling's bat doesn't play. If Stalling's bat's pl bat plays, then no problem at all. Wait and see. Um, let's tell you about our good friends over at FanDuel, of course. Let's get those graphics pumped. There we go. For those watching, they will know what I'm talking about. For those listening, won't have a clue. Um, but anyway, this year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. Guys, it's the Super Bowl on Sunday. Can you believe that? It seems to have come around fast this year. Um, and uh, it is America's number one sports book, deviated away from the script. Anyway, we're excited about a new sports betting partner for Lockdown because they are the number one sports book in America, and it is FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, this is where it gets even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back if in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Sounds a wonderful offer, no doubt. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads who will score a touchdown. Uh, the, the, the app, of course, is safe, secure, and super easy to use, and all of your winnings are paid instantly. No holdup. Go and celebrate and spend your winnings. So... To join FanDuel today, you can go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. Reminder, that is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. 
Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. I think that was pretty good. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting used to that one now. <laughs> so that's Catcher. I've realized this is going to be a multi, multi-pod uh, discussion because I'm already 12 minutes in and we only spoke about Catcher. <laughs> so stay tuned for more episodes dropping on the spring training battles. First base, let's talk about first base. Here's what we know. Garrett Cooper is on the roster. Uh, Garrett Cooper, if healthy, will likely take a bunch of playing time at first base. Who are the other candidates to play first base? Who is battling for this spot alongside Coop? Well, that's interesting. And it's interesting because really the most obvious are potentially Nick Fortes, who we've just spoke about. Maybe Nick Fortes spent some time at first base. I think Kim Ang mentioned that possibility along the way. Like, that could be depth there. And Nick Fortes could fill in if required. Like, clearly that isn't optimal. Um, the other candidates uh, for first base, Luis Arias, obviously, and played a bunch of first base last year for the Twins. And it, it was fine. So, you know, there's Luis Arias. The other name which is an intriguing name, of course. It's intriguing with the Marlins fans anyway. It seems less intriguing to the Marlins organization, the way he's been handled and developed, let's say, is Gerard Encarnacion. And I've I've always been puzzled in recent years with uh, Gerard Encarnacion's management, let's say. I mean, we'll go back to last year. He comes up and hits a, hits a grand slam and then gets demoted back down to AAA. That, that to me, says... We don't really believe in Hera Encarnacion. I've said this a few times, but in terms of a spring training battle, like for Encarnacion right now, he's got one minor league option year remaining. So the Marlins have the the flexibility to uh, send him back down to the minors at some point in, in 2023. It isn't in that spot. It's not the Jesus Sanchez situation. We'll talk about that one later on. Uh, but Hera Encarnacion has got a ton to prove. He had a wonderful, wonderful winter. Absolutely lit it up. He took some time at first base. He's not looked amazing at first base. Like, it's one of those where you you want to get the stick in the lineup. It's one of those situations, right? A standard one. You want to get the stick in the lineup. Um, the body is big. He's a big dude. He's not amazing in right field. Uh, he's not amazing anywhere defensively. And so, naturally, you then start to think, can Encarnacion handle it? Can he stick at first base and give us that? versatility or the ability just to play there. Clearly, Garrett Cooper is an expiring deal. The Marlins are in, they're in the market for a first baseman after this season and maybe during this season. And so long-term options at first base, fundamentally, Encarnacion's profile is one of a traditional first baseman. It is, or a corner outfielder, fundamentally. Like, he's a corner guy. So if the Marlins can get that, that glove working to a point where it's improved and serviceable at first base, and the bat can play at the major league level, then I think that's really intriguing for the Marlins. What what we didn't see at all last year in a, in a season when the year was cooked, fully cooked, and it was obvious it was cooked and the Marlins were selling, they didn't give any reps to Encarnacion at first base at all, which, again, says more... That you know, if you kind of look at that and ask yourself, what does that say about the view of Encarnacion? Clearly, Skip Schumacher may think about things differently. His staff may think about things differently. But Kim Ang is still around, and it's her roster to build and manage. And you would assume 
that Kim and the, the previous regime didn't believe in Encarnacion's ability at first base. Nevertheless, the Marlins need some depth at first base. They, you know, Cooper Loop can't be out there every single day. Experience tells us Cooper Loop, he's going to miss some time for something. He's a big-bodied guy, and balls seem to uh, track him and his body and his hands, um, which he can't do anything about in many ways. But experience tells us the Marlins need some depth there. They moved on from Lewin Diaz. And right now, if you think about it, what would happen? Gut feel is Luis Arias would slide over to first base and he would handle that duty. And then all of the Marlins second baseman, of which there's multiple ones of those, can slot in and fill in across the, the rest of the infield. That's the most likely. But in terms of looking at spring, what happens if Encarnacion starts to get some reps at first base? And what happens if Encarnacion absolutely lights it up? Do, does he put himself in the mix to, to play and make the roster as a, a first baseman and, and corner outfielder? Perhaps. Perhaps. What happens if, if Garrett Cooper goes down for any reason in spring and Encarnacion is, is absolutely raking? Will he be the starting first baseman? Would the Marlins do that? Or would they, as I've already mentioned, slide Arias over to first base and then you then start to use your plethora of second baseman, middle infielders to cover the rest? Probably that. But I do think Encarnacion is a very intriguing name in terms of this spring. Can he carry his form from the winter into spring? And can he just make the Marlins not be able to, to send him back down? Can he go out there and grab a, a roster spot? Because there's a lot of names that I think are, are inked into the roster itself due to contract position or past performance. Like there's not a clear and obvious number of open spots. Um, one, of those, one of those spots I think links to directly the Marlins approach with Jesus Sanchez. With no minor league options with Jesus Sanchez, He's either on the roster and they believe he can contribute to the major league level or he won't be. And so that is one of the key decisions. But if you look at it, we've got a, a starting lineup. Uh, roster resource, I think, has probably got this nailed right now, in my opinion. You've got, and I'll just read it from the top of the order, Luis Arias, Gene Segura, Jazz Chisholm, Garrett Cooper, Avi Garcia, Jorge Soler, uh, Joey Wendell, Brian De La Cruz, Stallings, and then on the bench, projected bench, Fortes, Definitely making the roster opening day. John Birdie, definitely making it. Then you've got Jordan Groshans and Jesus Sanchez. Those two spots offensively are the two main spots because Jordan Groshans has three minor league um, options available. Uh, Jesus Sanchez has zero. And so for me, like clearly, um, clearly the, 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 the Groshans decision will be one of the main ones. But if Encarnacion really comes out and rakes, then potentially Jesus Sanchez's his job and, and roster spot is is at threat. It's it's potentially, you know, Encarnacion could play himself in. If if Jesus Sanchez, and this is the point, right? This this to me feels a bit similar to the Isan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm situation a few years ago. Uh not quite the same position, but you probably look at Jesus Sanchez and say, what's he got left to prove at triple A? He's at, he always lights it up there. He's an absolute stud of AAA. And what we've seen at the major league level, the flashes of talent, like it's his job to take, right? But what happens if we get into spring, Jesus Sanchez comes in and hits 100, and Encarnacion comes out, hits 350. I mean, Jazz didn't even absolutely explode in spring, but it was like, you know, we hit, I can't remember the numbers, let's say two, 
280, a couple of bombs, and Isan Diaz was like really struggling. Like, if Encarnacion has a stunning spring and just says, I'm taking this roster spot, and, and Jesus Sanchez hits 100, no bombs, tons of swing and miss, no progression from before, the Marlins have got a decision to make there. They absolutely have. And Joe Frasaro was on this last year. He's been on it all the way, and it was such a great point. I've no idea why the Marlins decided to burn that option on Jesus Sanchez on a, on a year that was that was cooked, absolutely cooked. It didn't make any sense in terms of roster construction and just gives them no flexibility anymore with Jesus Sanchez. If we see the same Jesus Sanchez where the strikeout is way too high, um, then we're going to, you know, it, it leaves them little, little flexibility. And for me, that was the main it's the main problem. It's always been the main problem with Jesus Sanchez and something that I never really understood. So it's 20 minutes in. I've covered two positions. That says to me, this is a multi-parter. We're going to end it here because you know we like to keep these breezy. And I think, to be honest with you, there's there's at least an hour to get into a second base. <laughs> in all honesty, the amount of second baseman on this Marlins roster. Um, in summary, though, guys, Stallings and Fortes are inked into the roster. The only battle is between each other. Who's going to get the starting gig? Who's going to get the playing time? Stallings, we know, will catch Sandy. But how many games and how many starts will Fortes be catching? And how will the stick play this year in another year? Could be intriguing as the year progresses and the Marlins maybe look to lean on the stick of Fortes. At first base, it looks like Garrett Cooper is inked in there right now because the Marlins are saying that Luis Arias is playing second base. If the Marlins were saying that Luis Arias was playing first base, then that would completely change the conversation. And that is another thread, another wrinkle in this area. If the Marlins flex away from that and say, actually, do you know what? We want Jazz back in at second. Luis Arias is going to slide into first. What does that mean for Coop? It's a good question. He then ends up in a, he ends up as the backup first baseman playing, you know, twice a week at first base, potentially. And then also DHing and sharing the time there with Jorge Soler, perhaps. So, that is probably the biggest wrinkle at first base, other than the fact that if Adar and Canacion absolutely lights it up in spring and says, I'm not leaving, just gives it the, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio and says, I'm not leaving, starts pumping his chest and just plays himself into the roster, then that's a different situation. But as things stand right now, it looks to me like Garrett Cooper will be the everyday first baseman. Luis Arias will back him up, as will Nick Fortes, and likely Encarnacion will start in the minors. Thanks for making Lockdown Marlins your first listen of the day. It has been Wednesday, the 8th of February. Guys, I will be back tomorrow and carrying on in this conversation. I hope you've enjoyed what has become episode one of the spring training battles. Um, and if you are thinking about your second listen of the day, then I would highly recommend Locked On MLB Prospects. L Lindsay Crosby, that one. Lindsay is an absolute stud, by the way, and is a prospect encyclopedia. And he's going deep on all of the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available, of course, wherever you get your pods. Uh, guys, I appreciate you tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. I'll be back tomorrow with more spring training battles. In the meantime, see you soon.